praise the Lord. It's really a joy to be back in PCC after a brief hiatus. <laughs> I think more than seven years. <laughs> yeah, Penang has always been a, 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 have a soft spot in my heart because we spent five years uh, here. Orig- originally, we only uh, decided to spend about only a, one year the most hoping that we could actually finish our theological ed- education and then move back to uh, KL. Uh, but my wife's pastor decided to go on uh, uh, full-time evangelistic ministry and say, Stanley, you are available, come and uh, stand in for me and God is calling me to evangelistic ministry and that's how we landed up in Penang uh, for the next four years. My first year in Penang was full-time uh, study at the Baptist Seminary, which I, my wife and I really thoroughly enjoyed, you know. Can you imagine free from pastoral ministry, huh? And uh, my two boys were made in Penang. So that's why, you know, we have this soft spot, you know, in our hearts for Penang. And, and we have brought them back, you know, to Penang to uh, look at our uh, uh, former homes. You know, we stayed one year in Tullabahang. It's called, uh, what, end of the world, isn't it? Huh? You call it the end of the world. We stayed one year in Talabahang because uh, there was a housing that uh, the Baptist Seminary uh, managed to secure for us, and uh, it's only 10 ringgit a month. And so I paid one year advance rental. <laughs> and basically, it's because it's a, it's a Christian developer, and, and he had developed the place, you know, half, half wood, half concrete, and, uh, and it was actually a relocation plan for the fishermen out in Tanjung Munga uh, and wanted to kind of like take over the land to build high rise and so he, he built that to relocate them but the fishermen didn't want to go so he says I'm not, I don't know what to do with the, with the property and so he talked to the president of Baptist Seminary and says why not you know, house your married students and so me and another couple we went and uh, we stayed there it's a it's a bungalow, by the way. <laughs> Single-story bungalow, half wood, half uh, you know, half concrete, and, and we had uh, we had managed to live healthily for the one year in Tullabahang, breathing the sea breeze and, and so on and so forth. And then after that, we went over to Island Glades uh, after we have uh, you know taken up the church. It's my joy to be here with you, and this morning I was up early in the morning. I slept at about 11 last night after your pastor dropped us off, and I was up early in the morning just waiting upon the Lord because your pastor said, you can preach four messages, all different messages. I said, no, I don't think I'm going to preach all four messages, and I'm going to just preach, you know, the same message for the 5.30 and the 8 o'clock, and I'm going to preach the same for... Uh, a different message for 10 o'clock and 5.30. But lo and behold, as I was waiting upon the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord just say, I'm going to ask you to include something else in what you have planned to say. I said, oh God, why are you messing up my plans? The Lord says, you are here for my plan, not your plan. I said, okay, Lord, I, I apologize for saying, messing up my plans. And it's true. Uh, being in the ministry, we are always wanting to be obedient to the leadership of the Spirit and we always want to uh, move along with the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in a particular congregation. And so, 
uh, I want to remind you that you are here not because it is your favorite service. You're not here because, uh, you know, it, you are supposed to be here, but you are here because of a divine appointment. That every Sunday you are here because God has brought you here to hear His counsel being declared to you. And so this morning I'm sharing with you on the subject of the radiance of holiness. The radiance of holiness. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. And I'd like to read with you from the New Living Translation. I've fallen in love with this translation the last two, three years. And uh, all my scripture memory are done in the King James Version, by the way. Uh, I, I still quote them in the King James Version, but I'm greatly influenced by the New Living Translation. 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, chapter 1, sorry, verse 15 to... 15 to what? 17. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we are. Where are we? Okay. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time as foreigners in the land. Straightforward. Straight from the heart of Peter to us. Straight from the Holy Spirit who inspired Peter to pen these precious scriptures to us. Father, we thank you this morning, even as we, your saints, worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would now breathe life into this letter that you have written. You have reminded us, dear Lord, it is the letter that kills, but it is the spirit that gives life. And so, Lord, we invite the breath of life to hover over these words and to make it come alive to us. That as we listen with our ears, dear Lord, that we will understand with our hearts and that we will respond in our spirit with an appropriate behavior to you. I subject every wandering thoughts now to the obedience of Christ. And I ask, Lord, you will steal our hearts that we will understand the season of our life now as we wait upon you on what it means to be a holy people unto you. For I ask and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've lived in, pretty, in quite a bit of error, E-R-A, where holiness has been interpreted in various different meanings. That holiness can be interpreted by what you wear and how you wear your garments. I remember a long time ago, there was a group called the Salon Pentecostals. They would wear all, you know, in robes of white. They would refuse to wear gold chains and gold earrings, saying that these are worldly things that we should not be identified with. 
that a clo a rope of white would indicate purity. I've also lived in an era where spirituality is manifested through the roar of a lion. Then if there's a roar of a lion, it signifies that the lion of Judah is present with us and that we can be pretty excited that God's presence is with us through the roar. I've also lived in an era where holiness is depicted by holy laughter. That when you laugh uncontrollably, it is an indication of spirituality. I've also lived in an era where when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual, he or she shakes, his body shakes all over, or her body shakes all over. And that being slain in the Holy Spirit is an indication that the Spirit of the Lord is there. I've lived in these many eras. And some of you have lived in those eras as well. But remember that these eras have come and they've gone. What really is God saying to us about holiness? What is God trying to say to us? And particularly this morning, what is Peter trying to say to us? Of course, the writings of Peter here, you know, is, um, is culminated by the fact that there was a dispersion of the Christians during the time of the writing of 1 Peter. The persecution of the church was taken on and uh, was taking place and, uh, and, uh, and the people of, of God were being scattered all over. And uh, uh, they needed the encouragement to remain faithful to the Lord, to remain a holy people. And so the Holy Spirit, through the, insp through the inspiration, you know, anointed Peter to pen these very words. That we are to be holy as Christ is holy, as God is holy. It's actually a, a, uh, a quotation from the book of Leviticus. Be ye holy, for I am holy. So therefore, how is holiness interpreted? You can put on uh, the slides now. Yeah. How can we understand holiness of God in modern times? How do we understand in modern times? How do we depict and call an individual that you are a holy person? Yeah? That you are a holy person. And that whether we should uh, ascribe such terminology to that individual. And by the way, there is a differentiation between a spiritual person and a godly person. Spiritual person means to say that he flows in the gifts. But a godly person means he manifests the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, uh, how is the church going to measure spirituality? How is the church going to measure godliness? But one thing I do know, that the Word of God reminds us that they who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And so many people would want to escape persecution. And so they choose to live spiritual lives and not godly lives. But the danger is when we do not balance spirituality with God's Word. Because God's Word brings balance to our spirituality. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit must always align, be aligned with what the Scripture is saying. And that's how we answer the laughter movement 
And that's how we answer the slain in the spirit movement. And that's how we answer the roaring of the Lion of Judah movement. It is the word that brings sensibility to our connotation and understanding of holiness. Firstly, holiness is described as a garment of light. As a garment of light. In the Psalms 104 and verse 2, reading from the New Living Translation, the psalmist writes, it says, You are dressed up in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtains of the heavens. That God's holiness is stretched, is dressed up like a robe of light, and it is stretched out like a starry curtain of the heavens. God revealed to us that holiness is like a garment. It's like clothing. You can change your clothing every day, right? And we ought to change our clothing every day, by the way. <laughs> Alright? And so, holiness is garment that you wear. In other words, holiness is not something that will reside with you 24 hours a day. Because there are moments in our life where we subject ourselves to our bodily flesh. And that's where we sometimes we can lose sight of the holiness of God. When we do not allow ourselves to move in the Spirit. We see this struggle being reflected in Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, what I want to do, I'm not finding myself doing. But what I should not be doing, I am doing. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit desires you to pray. But the flesh says, play. Pray and play. And many times, we succumb ourselves to play instead of pray. And so the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is always going on in our lives, in our bodies. But yet, Psalms is telling us it's a garment of light. How does holiness reflect itself as a garment of light? A very good example is seeing the example of Moses going up to the mountains to commune with God to commune with God. And in the communion, it took more than one day, two days, three days, four days. It took many days until the children of Israel were totally restless. And the children of Israel, being a stiff-necked people, full of complaints, even after many, many manifestations of the miracles of God, of the provision of God, they still can complain. Can you imagine? God showed up in so many incidences and junctures of their journey. And still they say, Moses, why are you leading us here in the desert to die? It was better for us to be in Egypt. The people were still having a sense of Egypt, a sense of the pleasures and the provision that Egypt would provide for them. And that's exactly the struggle that you and I have in our lives. 
Egypt will always cling on to us. And we must be fully aware that this is a lifelong battle that we will have to go through. That unless and until we are like Moses, finding our holiness in connection with His presence. There is no win over the flesh until we are in communion with the Holy Spirit. The flesh will always be at war. As much as you want to fulfill the counsel of God and the will of God and the leadership of God in your life to do His will, the flesh will work strongly in the opposite direction, wanting you to go away from God. And so the garment of light is exactly like Moses spending up his time on the mountains. God in Exodus chapter 3 verse 4 says, God called Moses by his name, Moses, Moses. Moses, Moses. The garment of light begins when God recognizes that you are his child. I'm very, very sure that you are delighted when someone addresses you by your name. Especially when the usher recognizes who you are and says, Hi, good morning. Pastor Thomas, I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, when I am being addressed by my name, I smile because I recognize that this guy knows me or at least he knows my name. And so when God called out Moses, Moses, immediately the fear of this almighty God, the defense that Moses had put up, went down because his name was being called. And this morning, God wants you to put down your defenses. Before he clothes you with his garment of light, he recognizes who you are. You are purchased with his precious blood and he calls you by name. And he says, come and fellowship with me. Come and be with me where you can find me. And so immediately Moses responded. Moses responded to the call of God when his name was sounded. Verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3, this is exactly the response from God to the people's complaint. And this is what he says. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their... I can't even read my own writing. Because of their slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt. I like this. I like what God communicated 
to Moses to tell the Israelites. And today God is saying the same to you who are seated in our midst. He's saying, I have seen the oppression that you are facing right now. I have heard your cries. Some of you have been calling out to God. Some of you have been seeking the face of God. Some of you have been sending up SOS, urgent prayers. You don't seem to hear anything from God, but God says, I have heard your cries. He is not deaf. He hears your cries of distress. And the Lord also reminds you that I am aware of your suffering. What's going on in your life? You think no one knows? I've got good news for you. God knows. God knows your suffering. You may be smiling. You may be trying to cover up some of your inner hurts and wounds and pain. But God sees beyond the camouflage. He sees our suffering. And not only that, He says, Now I will come down to rescue you and I will lead you out of your Egypt. And as God gives us this promise here, and as you are listening to the inner voice of the Spirit burning these words to you, will you allow it to become revelation and life to you? Will you receive these words from the Lord? Because you know why? The moment you receive this and say, Yes, Lord, I thank you that you are hearing me. I thank you that you have brought Pastor Stanley here to remind me of these precious words. Because this would be the start of the garment of light that he would clothe you with. Next, please. Next, please. In Matthew 17 and verse 2, he was transformed before them. That is Peter, James, and John. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. In Matthew 9 and 3, his clothing became shining, exceedingly white like snow. You know, when God's holiness is clothed upon you, your situation may not change, but people will see the change because of that light that illuminates from a life that is lived in communion with Him. People will recognize that you have been in the presence of God. And the peace that passes through all understanding will fill your heart. Even though situation may not change totally, but the inner spirit is filled with His peace, reminding you that He is in control 
of your life as well as your situation. Many times God is unable to break into our situation is because we are having too much control of our lives. Just like you at the driving, driver's seat. And of course, praise the Lord, you have to really be in control when you're in a driver's seat, isn't it? You can't give control to your eight-year-old son. You can't give control even to your wife who is seated beside you because she doesn't have the acumen at that point of time because she's on the driver's seat. She's not on, you know, she's on the passenger seat and not on the driver's seat. You have to be in control. But there are at times in our lives, friends, when solutions don't seem to come your way, that's where you have to say, God, I have absolutely no control but to hand over control to you. The sovereignty of God. And when He takes over, He will show you who He really is. A God who is sovereign. A God who speaks to the storm with just two words. Be still. Be still. And the storm obeys His voice. Secondly, holiness is like a lamp that illuminates with its ray. It's not just a garment alone. Well, people will see you've been different because you've been in the presence. You know, from being an impatient and easily agitated personality, you become calm and confident, full of faith, full of belief, full of trust. He takes you one step further. He causes you to shine forth His rays. How many of you have been to a football stadium? You have actually watched a football match being played. You will have experienced the power of the floodlights. Is it true? The power of the floodlights. The moment the floodlights are on, boom, the whole stadium, the whole field is literally brightened up. You could see crystal clear who is kicking the ball. You could see who is running with the ball. You could see the goalkeeper catching the ball. The ray of light that fills a football stadium is a very good example of the ray of His holiness coming upon you. Many times we are, you know, we are captivated by the fact that such a such a speaker is so anointed. You know, he speaks with eloquence. He moves powerfully with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But not many of us appreciate the times and the moments that he has spent in the presence of God to arrive at where he is. It doesn't come easy. It comes with you paying a price to be holy. It comes with you paying a price to draw close to the Lord. Yeah? Just as 
Moses did as Abraham did. Abraham is called a friend of God. Wow! To be called a friend of God is an honor. And I'm very sure that you want God to be your friend as well. But it's not going to be a very easy attainment. It takes you and your sacrifice to become a friend of God. It takes you to be in communion with the Lord. John Gray, an authority on the subject of communication, an authority on relationship, lists the five levels of communication. And this is used across the board. You can use these five levels in a marriage relationship. You can use these five levels in your workplace, how you communicate with your staff. You can use this uh, even with your children, you know, in a parental relationship. Level number one is what we call the cliché conversation, which is a casual exchange of information. It's an informal talk where all your ashes use this level. Good morning. Welcome to PCC. It's an informal, the lowest form of connection. All right? The lowest form of connection. Level number two, it is what we call the fact-finding level. It's a simple exchange of information. When your ashes move beyond welcoming you and say, it's good to have you in the house of God. May I know where do you stay? But of course, you know, when Asha asks you that kind of question, you know, I'll be a little bit, <laughs> you know. But I think it is during the connection time. You know, it's like after the service and, uh, and, and, and you have connectors that are being placed in the, in the service and, 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 you know, you recognize that he or she is the first time and you go out to him and say, I, I think you are new here. I think you are new here. How can I help you? Second level of communication. Trying to move into the inner circle of this person's life. Level number three, it's the feelings and the emotions. It's the sharing of perceptions and feelings. It is the judgments and it is the beliefs about things. And I believe that this level, third level of communication ought to happen in the cell. That's where we talk about being in the family. Alright? And to be connected to the cell is to be connected to the family of PCC. And everyone needs to feel at home in the cell. And once you're at home in the cell, you don't mind the traffic jam from Balik Pulau to Ayetam. <laughs> Using a hypothetical example. We have people, you know, traveling from one end to another end. Why? Because of simply the chemistry. They found that belonging, they found home in the cell. So they don't mind braving the traffic jams to be in the cell because the cell is the second home. The cell is where they celebrate. The cell is where they pray. The cell is where they laugh. 
The cell is where they cry. The cell is where they support. As a matter of fact, during times of emergencies, it's oftentimes the cell leader and the cell members that are ahead of the pastors. That's how strong the family in the cell ought to be. We are so connected that we know what is happening in your life. Because there's a sharing of feelings, there's a sharing of emotions, of perceptions, there's even a sharing of your beliefs about things. Level number four, there is what we call peak communication. There's extract openness and honesty. I don't know whether at a cell you consider, you talked about the pastor's sermon. There are times, you know, we, uh, you know, our cell notes becomes an evaluation of the sermon being preached in the cell. And so everybody, you know, have their say. It is like, wow, you know, everybody will talk, you know. You know, I, I don't like what has been shared by the pastor. You know, he was just too, uh, he was just too forceful in putting this forward. And another one says, no, I don't think so. I think he is preaching from his heart. I think he's been honest in bringing this forward to us. And another one says, yeah, but if he could actually tone down a little bit, I find him a little bit jarring. All kinds of expression is allowed. Level number four. You don't close down communication. You give permission for everyone to share, whether it is positive or negative. Level number five. John Gray says, it is the trust and the self-disclosure, which is the highest level of communication. I'm sharing this to translate to our relationship with God. As we read the various different passages in the Bible, particularly from the Old Testament, you will notice that the Old Testament writers at times write about their frustration. The Old Testament writers write about their discouragement. The Old Testament writers talked about their disappointment. The Old Testament even uh, writers even expressed their anger why God delay His judgment. Are you listening to me? And if God allows the authors of the Bible to write down such feelings of anger, discouragement, disappointment, it means to say He is giving us an example of the way we can communicate with God to attain holiness in our life. God, I just don't know why you are delaying your answer to me. I'm very frustrated with this particular boss that I'm working with. I'm not getting affirmation from him. I'm not getting affirmation from her. All I get is criticism. All I get is judgment. All I get 
is that she's making me feel so small, God. When will I see judgment coming upon my situation? Have you ever thought about such kind of prayer? Have you ever thought about such kind of communication with your God? Or are you greatly influenced by teachings that we must address God? Oh, Heavenly Father. You see, many times we need to break out of our levels of communication and to really, really address God as one that knows us better than we know ourselves. He created us. He knows us inside out. You see in the, in the mirror an image of who you are. But God sees in your heart and He knows exactly who you are. We see an image of who we are from the mirror. But God sees us in our hearts and He really knows who we are. And that's the reason why if we don't communicate the way the writers of the Bible communicates, we miss the mark. We miss the mark. Our relationship will continue to be just hanging around level 2, level 3 the most. It will never go beyond level 4. It will never reach level 5. Because level 5 is total self-disclosure taking this into the marriage relationship. It took me 20 years to find my footing in relationship with my wife in self-disclosure. <sighs> it's no secret, my wife has heard me saying this before. We've been married for 38 years, but it took me 20 years to work at self-disclosure to her. You know why? Because we men are very macho. We don't like to tell where our weaknesses are. God created us with a domineering spirit. God created us with a spirit of control. God created us giving us the leadership ability to lead in things. And it is good that we men should lead and women should follow. You don't believe me. Who was created first? Someone want to say woman, is it? <laughs> Where was women created from? From the side of men. You are a part of men. It was Adam that God created. He formed Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostril and he became a living soul. He was roaming planet earth and God saw that he was lonely and God put him to sleep and took something out of him and clothed that rib with flesh. And that's how Eve was created. It took me 20 years 
to self-disclose my fears to my wife. And when she began to hear this, she began to appreciate that this is now the real Stanley that I'm married to after 20 years. I should have learned this earlier in our relationship. And that's the reason why my premarital counseling is very, very different. I never went through a premarital counseling myself. Pastor Johnny Yeo, who has gone to, the, to be with the Lord, just met us one time. Stanley, you're Bible school trained. Irene, you're Bible school trained. You have taken marriage and home. You have taken marriage and home. You're ready for marriage. What kind of PMC? And we were married. But we have learned. We have learned to put couples through proper lessons to prepare them on some of the expectations in marriage. What I took 20 years, you don't have to take 20 years. When there is trust, when there is trust in this God who has created you, you can tell Him straight from your heart, God, I am frustrated with what I'm going through right now. Will you get me out of the rut? And the Lord hears you. Amen? He hears you. If you're sad, tell Him you're sad. Talk to Him. And He will minister to you. So God is bringing us closer and closer and closer to Him so that His holiness is finally coming upon you. It's your communication that we need to work on. The levels of communication. And finally, it is the holiness that dwells in the inner temple or the tabernacle of our spirits. Of our spirits. Second Cor- uh, Corinthians chapter 3 I, I, didn't, I didn't really uh, talk about the scripture, isn't it? Yeah? How to go back this? Okay. Okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. The scripture in Luke eleven thirty six 36 says, If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a flight light were filling you with light. So what is important is that when we are being honest with God, then... His light begins to fill every dark corner of our life. Ah, that is exactly, this is a very important part. How can I miss it? You know? and, 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 and when we have been honest to express our frustration, the light of God begins to penetrate into some of the dark corners of our life that we are unable to hide sin in our lives. That's the whole idea for being honest and transparent with the Lord with the Lord. Because this passage in Luke chapter 11, if you look at the context very carefully, it's actually talking about the confronting of demonic powers with the light of God. Uh, if you look at the context of whole uh, of uh, Luke chapter 11, it is the confrontation of demonic powers with the powers of, of Christ. And, and uh, 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 this scripture is 
informing us that we need to fill our life with His light so that there is no darkness whatsoever that can reside. And all of us know that when light is present, darkness flees. Is it true? No matter how dark that room is, the moment you touch the switch, your room is brightened up. I did that experiment in a large church in Kuala Lumpur. It's about 600 in size. And so I actually asked the uh, folks that were seated behind in the console area, who were seated around the light area, I said, we, of course, with the permission of the pastor, I said, we're going to do a little experiment now. All right? I even asked the, music, the musicians to go on stage because those little gadgets there, you know, uh, they, have, they emit little white, uh, red lights as well. So I said, all of you need to give me the cooperation. When I count one, two, three, let all the lights in this auditorium be off. All right? I said, even the Kaloa emergency sign has to go off. And so everybody scrambled, you know, ushers scramble, scramble, scramble. It took about three minutes for them to get into position. Okay, ready, very good. One, two, three, boom. And we were all in darkness. Even the microphones are off. Because the microphone actually also emitted light, red light. Total darkness. So, no more microphone, no? So I had to raise my voice to the 600 congregation that was present that morning. And now, brothers and sisters, ready for the entrance of light. One, two, three, boom, it came on. Immediately, darkness leaves the auditorium. A simple experiment, but it illustrates what takes place in our lives when God's light fully penetrates into our life. Are you understanding this? When God's light is being emitted from your life daily, every dark corner of darkness is dispelled. There's light coming into every areas of our life. And now, finally, holiness dwells in the inner temple or the tabernacle of our spirit. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And the Spirit and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. Brothers and sisters, it is a process. Holiness is a process. You can't go to a seminar, attend a seminar on holiness and expect that you are transformed after the seminar is over. It's a process. It's a process where you have to start and where you have to persevere to work at. Number one, persevere 
with your Bible reading. Start off with your Bible reading. Start off with your prayer. Start off with being faithful in the house of God to be in fellowship with one another. Everything that God says in His Word is always good for us. Do not neglect the assembling together. Because why? in the assembling together, there is encouragement, there is exhortation, there is support. Some Christians, some time ago, came and tell me, Pastor, now with the existence of the internet, we can watch a worship service. We can experience God in our home. We can invite the Holy Spirit into our home. You know, we can hear Brian Houston. I don't get to go to his church. We can hear Brian Houston in our home. We can hear some of the more controversial speakers. Joel Austin in my home. We can hear you know, uh, uh, who else? What are, what are some of the big names that you can, you, can, you can ever think of? And the answer is true. You can through the use of internet. But we lack the identification with the corporate body. We lack that human touch. Always remember, God wants us to connect humanly one to one. One to one. Jesus came to die for his church. He didn't die for Netflix. He didn't die for YouTube. He didn't die for Google. These days, Google has been replaced and treated like a god. You know that? Everybody is on Google. Even the pastor's message is being checked with Google. Pastor said that Greek word was like that. Let me check, see whether he did his homework correctly or not. Very challenging. These days, congregation becomes more and more educated with the use of Google. But my friends, I want to tell you this straight from God's heart to you that unless and until you learned to really, really allow God to start the process of holiness, you will never be able to become more and more like Jesus. We don't want you to be just a follower of Jesus Christ. We want you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. When Jesus comes back to planet earth a second time, he's coming back for an adult Christian, not a baby Christian. He's not going to come back to find his church still sucking milk. He wants to come back for a church that is fully grown, adult, who's taking meat and not milk. And so, brothers and sisters, let that process begin. Let that process begin by asking the Lord to fill our hearts with a desire to draw close to Him. And yesterday evening in both of the services, I talked about worship that honors God. Let us begin 
by giving Him true worship. Let us begin by honouring Him to be in faithful communion and fellowship. We talk to a lot of people every day. And of course, the joke is this, that women has how many thousand words, Pastor? 45,000, 60,000, and we men have only about 20,000. And most men use up all our words in our workplace. When we go home, there's nothing to talk. While our wife's word bank is so big, and they keep talking and talking and talking and talking. You know, we, 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 we talk all the time and we want to talk all the time because we want that connection. You know, in the beginning of our marriage, I thought my wife just talks too much. She was a different woman from Bible school. She's the sweet young lady that's so quiet. But when I married her, she talks and she talks and she talks and she talks. I said, oh Lord, did I make a mistake? And the Lord says, no, you made no mistake. Because I said in my words to you that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. So how am I going to go against your word? And I'm still very conservative. Huh? I still believe the men must do the finding. Women, you just make yourself your, you just make your presence known. And if the man is not <laughs> sighted enough to see your presence, then he is not worthy for you to take as a husband. <laughs> you don't agree. Uh. You just make yourself presentable. That's it. I am still the conservative man. And I want to encourage you men, you look for your wife. I don't know about you, but if when a woman comes and makes herself available to me, yeah. God has given us the option for us to draw nigh to Him. And He will draw nigh to us. Let us take the initiation to go forward to Jesus and He will draw nigh to us. He will come near to us. So how is holiness best manifested in our lives today? It is better reviewed. Is it better reviewed today through, you know, our change of clothes every day? Is it like some modern gadgets like the GPS and apps like Waze and Google Maps that we bring to show us the way? Or is it better lived through our transformed behavior and character that reflects kindness, mercy, grace, forgiveness, impartiality, justice, patience, and love? I think holiness is better manifested in this way than any other way. When God fills His people with tons and tons of forgiveness, when God fills His people with tons and tons of grace, we must learn to be gracious to one another. 
we must learn to be forgiving to one another. We must learn to show mercy to one another. Don't make statements like, that shows that we are not gracious and merciful enough. God's holiness must be practically displayed in our world that lacks peace and restedness. In a world that is lived in turmoil right now, right now I can tell you there's so much of unrest right after what has happened in Christchurch. I read a commentary of all the residents of Christchurch. All of them are in total shock because they say that Christchurch is a peaceful community. It's a peaceful town. Everybody knows everybody in Christchurch. It's small. The population is small. We live in harmony. We live in peace. And New Zealand as a nation is a peaceful nation. I've never seen New Zealand charipasal like America, who's always, you know, like uh, sending troops here and there, uninvited troops here and there. A very friendly nation of New Zealand. Life will never be the same. I don't know whether I'll be able to go to New Zealand without a visa after this incident because I had great difficulty to go to Canada. I've been wanting to go to Canada. I've gone to Canada three times while I was doing my doctorate in Chicago. I flew to Canada without a visa to visit my grand-aunt who is living in Toronto. But in my latest attempt to go to Canada, I had to go through so many layers of checks. The so-called body that was entrusted with the application, the visa application, had to screen me through so many rounds and says, Mr. Lim, looks like you may have to go down to Singapore yourself and to make the application for the visa. And you may have to stay three to four days to wait for your visa for its approval. And I look at him and then you should have till, told me at the first interview with you guys, why you make me run through four interviews with you guys and then finally tell me, go down to Singapore yourself to make the application. I just smile at the guy and says, it's okay. I don't need to go to Canada. I don't need to go to Canada. But I thank God that none of us have to apply for a visa to go into the presence of God. The veil has been broken. The veil has been broken. He gives you full access to His presence and along with it, a bunch of benefits that His holiness will be reflected in your life like a garment, like a light, and finally, like a habitation that resides in you. When God resides in you, the consciousness and the awareness of God brings a delight and a joy because of the constant fellowship. You can hear His voice speaking to you 
You can hear Him warning you. You can hear Him granting you a way of escape for every temptation that you face in life. Thanks be to God that we serve a living God whose grave is empty today. I thank God that my Jesus is risen from the dead. My God is alive. It's alive. It's alive. And so therefore, do not be overly weighed down. Be overly weighed down by some of your concerns. He knows you. He hears you. And in His good time, He will come in and He will provide a way for you in your difficulties. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. Praise God. Father, I thank you that this morning that we can come to you in such a simple manner to hear your heart that you want to fellowship with us, that you want to impute your holiness upon our lives. And that, Father, you are challenging our understanding of holiness that is more than some physical garment that we wear over our bodies. It's more than some things that we can cope up to demonstrate our spirituality. But, oh Lord, that your holiness is a process that begins with us learning how to talk with you and to share with you about how we are at this very moment of our lives. Every head bowed and every eyes closed, even right now. Has the Lord spoken to your hearts? Has the Lord brought words of comfort to you? Sometime in the midst of your journey, you felt that God has left you. But the good news that this morning that God gives to you, that He has not left you. He has not left you. He is with you. He is with you. And He will answer because He is a good God. And He understands every moment of trial that you are going through right now. 